Hi everyone, I'm Kara Scott and welcome to this episode of The Heart of Poker, sponsored by 8 at 8 Poker. It's a podcast that aims to introduce you and me to the players that we already know so well, but in a totally new way. And I've asked a lot of questions of poker players over the past 15 years, and for me, I say the weirder the better. So for this podcast, I'm using a modified set of questions developed by psychologists 25 years ago to try to see if they could get total strangers to fall in love. Now, it's a shorter list and I've updated some of them, but otherwise, these are the questions that they came up with to try to find a shortcut to get to know someone on a deeper level fast. My guest today is a British poker OG, kind of literally, as he was one of the actual four players in the Hendon Mob. And yes, poker youngsters, that was a real group of players before they started the website. He was a regular on the original Late Night Poker as well as down at the Vic, the first person to reach three consecutive final tables in the World Series of Poker, a double bracelet winner, an award winner, and one of the driest wits that you will find anywhere, but especially on Twitter. Now, Barney Boatman is one of the few people in poker that I always make a point to find and have a drink or a meal with whenever we end up in the same city, and I'm feeling pretty lucky he agreed to be on this particular podcast because he's usually very, very quiet about his personal life and things outside of poker. So, Barney, welcome, first of all. <laughs> Thank you very <laughs> Any much. Any nerves about being here? Yeah, well, like you said, yeah, I, I don't, uh, I mean, I'm not on Facebook, actually, for exactly that reason, because, uh, I don't know, I mean, I'm... I'm very gregarious, but I, I prefer talking about other people normally to talking about myself. <laughs> well, this is going to be, um, you know, fairly, fairly probing, but we start off pretty easy. It's going to be done in three different sets of questions. The first set is more of a getting to know you kind of period. Um, so yeah, we'll start off easy with that. And the first one's kind of an obvious one for this period of time that we're living in. This is spring 2020. All there is to talk about is coronavirus. So. Uh, starting off with this, what do you miss the most about your pre-quarantine life? Well, that's easy because, uh, as you know, I live in Madrid, but um, when the dice got rolled and the, the cards fell, <laughs> I found myself in London, actually. I, I mean, I've been in London for almost all of this year because my mum's been very ill and I've, I've, I've mm -hmm. been taking care of her. And uh, I'd only been back in Madrid for a couple of weeks. Uh, and then uh, my elder brother was supposed to be having a heart operation. My mum was going through a bit of a bad time. It looked like there was going to be lockdown in both places, and I kind of felt like there had to be somebody here to be with my mum. So I thought mm -hmm. I'd come for a couple of weeks anyway and make sure everybody was okay. Uh, and now I don't know when I'm going to be able to go home. So that's that's kind of I'm missing like everything really. Yeah. Yeah, I can completely relate to that. We got in the car kind of on a whim and drove 10 hours to the south of Italy away from our apartment just to be on the family farm thinking, you know, things looked a bit dicey in kind of mid-February up in the north of Italy. And then we've been here ever since and we're probably going to be here for another four months. And the idea of being away from home for that long, like you said, you just kind of miss well, everything. <laughs> everything that was going on, yeah, it's all kind of pretty much over there. So it's... Yeah. But, you know, I'm lucky. I've, I've, um, I've got a safe, nice home here, and um, mm -hmm. it's not too bad for me. Yeah, well, there's a lot to be said for that. Um, I remember right towards the beginning as well, you weren't feeling very well. Uh, I think you were still in Madrid at that point. And that must have been really unsettling, especially considering everything that was happening to kind of be having some of those symptoms. And Yeah, no, that was weird. Because, well, what happened was because um, a, a good friend of mine had a, had a dinner party in Madrid, uh, and um, the night before, actually, I, I think the night before I was due to fly back to London, 
she contacted me and said, you, you, you better know, uh, I've, got, um, I've got the virus, definitely. And so have two of the other three people who were at dinner that night. Uh, oh, wow. And I was like, oh. Um, but I felt okay at the time. I, I was actually getting on the plane the following day. And I got, I got back to London and uh, uh, the symptoms hit me the day after I got back. Um, and uh, if it hadn't been for the fact that my friend had been definitely had it, I mean, no, uh, mm -hmm. I, I wouldn't have. I would have thought, well, this is this is a flu or whatever. But because of that, I thought perhaps more of it. I don't know. It's fifty-fifty. Have I had it or not? I really don't know. If if I did, I I got away with a relatively mild version. Wow. Well, it wouldn't be a terrible thing to have the immunity that might come along with having <laughs> yeah. had it. So. I don't know if you kind of hope you had it or hope you didn't. Oh no, have it I absolutely hope I had it for sure. Yeah, but I mean, there's no, there's no way of knowing. Even if you get, yeah, even if you absolutely. get tested, uh, Liv Barry did a very, a, a very good little um, YouTube thing explaining why um, getting, getting tested gave you virtually no information. Uh, so um, <laughs> yeah, it, it was, it, it was, yeah, the, the paradox thing. Um, anyway, that was clever, but damn it. Considering the time period that we are living in and the weirdness of the whole thing, it's for me anyways, it puts some things into kind of sharper relief, a little more perspective. So the second question is, for what in life do you feel most grateful? Uh, so what do you think that would be for you? Uh, I would say the friends that I've got, I've, I've, I've been very, very lucky. I've, I've collected an amazing, set, I mean family too, but, but you know, I've got friends all over the world. You know, I don't know if they find me or I find them, but you know, I've got <laughs> Lifelong friends who I, you know, some of them I very rarely see in Australia, in in Austria, and you know, in, all over the place, and, and um, that's that's easily what I'm most grateful. Yeah. For. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're really good. I would say, um, as someone who is lucky to, you know, catch up with you in different places around the world when we're playing poker, you're really good at staying in touch with people. Um, <laughs> I think that's a real skill. I got to be honest. I think that. Uh, you just, I don't know. We always kind of manage to pick up where we left off, and I think that is down to you. Uh, what, you saying that I've been stalking you or something? No. <laughs> I, I thought it was you. <laughs> okay, fine, it was me. No, fine. Well, I mean, I've, I've, yeah, it, it's some, sometimes it's easier with people who, are, who you rarely see, who are in other places, mm. especially if you know they're likely to turn up at particular times. But, I mean, it's the people that are mm. nearby that, you know, that drift away sometimes because you have to work at that one in a different way. I'd say the poker actually kind of makes that both harder and easier. One of the things that I figured out when I first started traveling for poker was that I missed a lot of things. Like I was missing kind of Friday night down at the pub on the regular. I was missing people's birthdays a lot. You know, I was away a ton because I was working or playing poker. And yeah, you, it kind of makes you either have to put in the effort or let go of, you know, things that just aren't as important to you, I guess. And that's a harsh thing to say, but, you know, not, I guess you can't stay in touch with absolutely everybody. No, that's true. And, and it's true that you tend to sort of like end up not getting invited to things because people assume you're not there, even if you are. You know. uh -huh. So you have to be the Is one... that why they don't invite me? Oh, I feel so much better if that's why they're not inviting me. <laughs> yeah. What else could it possibly be, Cara? Oh, I can't even imagine. I can't imagine. Um, okay, the next question, the original question is, 
I think a little difficult, but I'm going to give it to you and then I'll give you my, my modified version. So the original question was to take four minutes and tell me as much of your life story as you can. Super open-ended. Um, but let's kind of shake that up a little bit. So in just a few minutes, can you give me an outline of your story? Even just kind of a timeline of Barney, you know, you were born where, you grew up where, you moved on to different adventures and then where are you now? Oh, well, okay. Well, um, I was born, uh, this is like doing one of those uh, speed dating things, isn't it? I, I was born um, ah. <laughs> uh, in, in a place called Summerstown in London, or just, just on the edge of it. Um, and um, I grew up, the first few years of my life, in this amazing house, actually, which was because uh, my parents um, didn't have a lot of money, but, uh, but they you know, had a lot of mates. And they, they got together with um, four other families and bought this big old house um, and the, each family had a floor and there were no like dividers between the floors so for the, so for the kids we just lived in a, you know kind of like a commune I guess it wasn't but it, it, I, you know it had some of the aspects of that so I you know I had a lot of friends who um, some of them are still lifelong friends people who lived in that house huh. uh, so I had that you know this very I guess bohemian upbringing um, uh, my parents were both uh, communists. They were both in the communist party, and a lot of their wow. a lot of their mates were too. Uh, so I grew up kind of with this idea that there was stuff about us that was different, uh, mm -hmm. but also more importantly, with a lot of great values. You know, I think you know, mm -hmm. caring about fairness and justice, and you know, I mean, some of you know some of the underlying ideas might have changed, but those values were a good grounding, you know, and, and um, uh, at school, I was, on the one hand, I was a smart ass, I was, you know, I was, a, I, I was a talker, <laughs> I was always kind of funny and sharp and the first one to say something. At the same time, I had, I did have problems with, um, which uh, I couldn't sit still, uh, I truanted a lot, mm. um, I had, which I always think, think of as dyslexia, it's never been diagnosed, but I, I, I think that's kind of what it is. And, I've developed a lot of things over the years to cope with it. But one way or another, I could never mm -hmm. do my homework. Uh, I got away for years through, you know, through what I could just lag. And, you know, I, I got a reasonable amount out of school, I guess. But, I, you know, I, I was no good with exams. And, and uh, I, I got kicked out um, at the earliest age for, for persistent truancy. And um, <laughs> uh, so I never had, you know, the education that I would have liked to have had, never went to university, anything like that. But I did a lot of different things from, from very early. I, I started living in squats. Uh, I was in a in a band for a short while. I, you know, I, I did. You know, I worked in in factories and then a post room, and I, you know, I, I did a bit of journalism. And I did a bit of. Um, I worked in bars a lot, uh, and um, I, I got. I became a bit of a traveller. I mean, I guess this is why I got to know so many people because I, tra I travelled a lot around the world. I lived in a lot of places, really enjoyed that. I lived in Sri Lanka, in Hong Kong, uh, briefly in Australia. I lived in uh, Barcelona. Um, and um, it was when, I guess, a big chunk of my life then was, because uh, I, went, I went and lived in uh, Nicaragua for a while because... Uh, friend of mine um, was involved just after the Sandinista revolution. He, he was uh, actually the bodyguard to the minister of the interior. And he used to be my, he used to be my karate teacher, this guy. And he contacted me and said, 
you've got to come over here. You love it. And I went over there. I did love it. And I wanted to come back and I wanted to live there. Uh, and I said, what do you need? What do people need here? And they said, we need computer programmers. So I came back to London. And I did a top course in programming. Turned out I was very good at that. But I realized that like a three-month course wasn't enough. And I got a job. And um, 10 years later, I was still doing that. I'd settled down, good as married, not actually married, but good as. I'd kind of forgotten about um, the whole idea of, uh, of going to Nicaragua along, along the way, but I'd become a computer programmer. Uh, I always did, writing was the thing that I loved, and I always did bits of writing here and there, bits of journalism, stories, stuff like that. But round about after 10 years into being in, um, being in, that, being in programming, I got involved with something called Channel Siberia, which was, a, which was the very, very early days of the internet. And it was something my sister got me involved in. She was involved in it. And um, that was, um, it was supposed to be like a live channel, but on the net with, you know, with interactive events. And the, that was before there was really any content. And I was invited to develop some content. And I developed something called Play the Game that was all about games and gambling. Uh, and had a poker aspect because I was already into poker. Uh, and... But that, that kind of fell apart for whatever reason, I can't remember. But uh, poker became a bigger and bigger thing. And then I, um, about just over 20 years ago, I, I went to Slovenia, played a seven-card stud tournament and won it. Uh, and I said, oh, I've got 8,000 quid here, more money than I've ever seen in my life. I said, uh, I'm going to pack my job in and see how long I can make that last playing poker. And uh, I've been getting lucky ever since. <laughs> there i mean there are so many different questions <laughs> that come out of that like a brief history of barney that is absolutely incredible the only one that i i mean what did you play in the band <laughs> oh i no listen i sang really badly <laughs> it, it, it was it, it was a time it was a time when everybody was in bands, you know. I, I, I actually lived in a squat at the time, and I think there were, you know, there were probably 15 people in the house and 12 bands, and I was in three of them. You know, it was something like that. You know, it was kind of like, <laughs> uh, you know, and um, it, was, uh, it, was a, it was, it was an exciting time for music, and, and um, you know, but it wasn't, you know, I didn't, you know, I, I, I wasn't. I wish I was musical. I never learned an instrument as a kid, and... Uh, and I uh, still, you know, I, I try had a go at the drums. wasn't particularly good at that, but like you were allowed to stand and shout and whatever. As it happens, I can carry a tune. In fact, uh, one of my one of the bands I was in, the leader of the band, took it a bit more seriously with the guy whose group it was, and he used to tell me off for crooning. He used to say, "You sound <laughs> sound like Frank Sinatra. Stop it. You should, you should be shouting. You should be angry." And I was like, I'm not, I'm not angry. I'm loving life. <laughs> anyway, yeah, that was a bit of fun. Well, you definitely have the most interesting five-minute life story that I've heard in poker. And it makes a lot of sense to me now how you seem to be at ease in just kind of any situation with all kinds of different people. But just before we go on, I just want to apologize to the listeners. We had some audio issues in that section, which we've sorted out now, but you might be hearing a bit of difference in the sound. So I am sorry about that. Anyhow. We're moving right along. Um, we were talking maybe, about your... Maybe it's... Sorry, go on. No, you go ahead. <laughs> I'm just going to say maybe I'm just a man of many voices. Maybe that's what it is. 
<laughs> this is just another hat you're wearing. It's like another voice you're trying. Um, yeah. But yeah, so moving along, we said that uh, we were talking about your illustrious history in various bands, and I remember you said that they wanted you to sing more angry. So I'm guessing punk. Is it was it punk music? It was. Uh, it was that kind of time. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it kind of leads into the next question. Um, is there a band or a musical group that you've seen live more than once? And kind of what role does music play in your life now? Um, well, music's always been big for me, like it is for most people, I guess. And, and I've consumed it in every form over the years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've, I've, I've sort of um, rediscovered the joy of live music quite a lot living in Madrid. Mm. In fact, so, because it's a lot easier to see bands there and uh, you know, at short notice and in small venues. And there's a couple of um, Spanish, well, there's a, there's, there's a group called the Hines who I discovered on the internet a few years ago, but they're a Spanish kind of garage band that, that um, uh, they've become quite big now, but I've seen them a few times. And, um, but the last gig I went to was in Madrid and it was someone called Victor Abundancia. And he's like, um, he's a singer, songwriter, who used to be in a band back in like the eighties, I guess it was a, it was a sort of rockabilly punk band um, huh. called called the Coyotes, and, and he's now performing on his own, doing a really wide range of stuff. He he, he finds kind of songs from from Brazil and from Costa Rica and from different parts of Spain, and uh, and he's funny, and he, uh, so he's very entertaining. So those are ones I've seen a few times lately. I mean, I, back back in the day when you know, I, I remember, I, I remember when I lived in Camden Town and uh, the Clash were playing three nights in a row at the Music Machine, oh. and uh, and everybody in our house, we just got tickets for every night, and we oh. we got a bag, a little bag of blue sweets that, um, that we were taking at the time, <laughs> <laughs> and um, and we just uh, that all. Yeah, so I definitely saw the Clash more than once because I saw them three times in three days. Um, oh wow! I think the I think the band I probably saw the most was a was a group called the the Raincoats that was also around during that time. They were kind of indie post punk, very interesting band that I just really loved. So, but it was very social in those days. I mean, you didn't mm. go just to see the band. It was all the same people were always there, and there was usually a different support act anyway, or maybe they were supporting someone. So it wasn't like you were just repeating the same experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, when I moved to London uh, in my you know early twenties, it was back in 1999, and that's late for the kind of music scene that you're talking about. But I remember thinking, the music here and the music scene itself is just something that I have never experienced in my life. It was just. Uh, really incredibly eye-opening to be able to watch so much live music and that people really cared about it as well for like a small town girl from northern Alberta <laughs> to go to some of these venues was like oh my gosh <laughs> yeah there, there are there have always been a lot of great venues in London a lot of good big venues as well and like I say the thing about Madrid's very exciting they, they also put on a lot of outdoor like the um, the council will put on outdoor events and and get quite big bands to come and play for free. Hmm. Uh, I mean, I don't know when all this stuff is going to come back. You know, some of the stuff I really love about living in Madrid is obviously yeah. not happening right now. But, like, but, like, but um, I mean, the other thing they do there is they mix music quite a lot. You know, they, they mix genres, you know, uh, and um, it's, it's, it's not that tribal in a way. Um, hmm. 
and um, you know, so I, I went to see, I can't remember what they were called, but a great jazz flamenco band a little while ago in a small club, you know, and, and, and um, you know, it, it just, it worked really well. Um, and um, they, they, you know, they, they tend to, they tend to be more in touch with their, with their folk music in inverted commas and, and uh, they're not shy about blending that in with stuff that's going on. Uh, there's, there's a singer called Rosalia who's, who's become really huge now hmm. um, who uh, is very, very Spanish, but like works really well on the, you know, on the kind of worldwide hip hop scene, I guess. So, you know, but, uh, it's an exciting time for music in Spain. Yeah, well, hopefully that does come back soon, sooner rather than later. Uh, things have changed quite a lot in the moment. Um, it's all recorded music only. So, yeah. All right. Well, yeah. there's only one question left here in the first section. Remember, we have three sections to get through. Um, the last question for this section is a little bit more serious, actually. If, there, if you could change anything about the way that you were raised, what would it be? Because it sounds like you had a pretty Ooh. amazing upbringing. Well, uh, I don't know. <clears throat> yeah, there's things... I, I... I don't know about exactly the way I was. I'd, I would like my dad to have been around a bit more than he was because he was mm -hmm. uh, he, uh, he was very into his trade union and he was always off a lot. But I mean, he was great when he was there. But you know, I, I, I'd like to have been taught more. Uh, you know, kind of you know how to use tools and stuff like that, and been a bit mm. you know better at that kind of thing. I'd love to have you know. Uh, I mean, these days people are always you know sending kids off to clubs to learn skills and this and that. You know musical instruments i'd love to have learned one I'd, I'd love to have um yeah learn i guess learned a foreign language when i was a kid um been brought up bilingual that would have uh, saved me a lot of trouble later on but uh but no you know i mean my my family was great they they were very um it was it was they were always welcoming people in there was always people staying from you know uh from different parts of the world and you know so i grew up with, with this feeling of being part of something bigger, I suppose. It was great. Mm -hmm. So are you fully bilingual now? Because when we saw each other in Madrid the last time, you actually ordered for us at a bar and you seemed pretty fluent to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but if you can't order fluently at a bar... Uh, well, <laughs> you shouldn't um, live there. <laughs> um, I mean, um, yeah, I, I, it, it's, I, I don't think you can ever say... I mean, I think that, like... If you listen to me and people will I feel differently about it at different times. Sometimes mm. I meet someone and they'll say, wow, you know, what part of Spain are you from? And sometimes huh. oh, that's, that's rare. But, but they'll, they'll kind of say, yeah, you, you don't make any mistakes. You sound great. And another time you might feel a bit tired and you might not, you might not feel so fully you know, in a group of people and you, you lose the thread of what's going on. Mm. I, I think it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty good. But the thing about a language, if you ever think you've got it all, then you've got the wrong approach. You know, it's yeah. like anything, I suppose. I guess it's like poker. You know, if you think you know it all, you're screwed. Yeah, it's a pretty good analogy, actually. I thought that I was learning so quickly my, my Italian now that I live over here. And then I've just hit a point where I realized how much I don't know. And it did feel like poker because <laughs> I remember when I start, first started poker, I was like, this is really hard. This is really complicated. Oh, now I figured it out. And then, you know, I kind of went over that crest and was like, oh, yeah, I don't know anything i don't know shit about poker and i kind of feel like that with language but, right now i gotta be honest <laughs> yeah but you know i mean the thing is with language i mean it's part of the fun of it there is always more i mean certainly with spanish because you know you meet someone from chile and and and, and you you learn some chilean slang or something called you know you 
uh, you, you start learning to how to distinguish the different accents and the different parts of Spain. I mean, the big test, actually, if you can listen to a stand-up comedian mm. and know what the hell's going on, that, then you've, that is, to me, that's the ultimate test. <laughs> if I, and, I, I beat, you know, and sometimes I will get lost with stand-up. And, some, you know, and I love it when I, when I get it. And I, you know, because it's not just the language. It's mm. all the references and the funny voices and the people they talk about and stuff like that. And when you, when you get the cultural references, that's, a, that's almost more of a buzz than you know, understanding the words. Yeah, I'm looking forward to getting to that point. I remember when I got to that point in London, like, and I mean, we all spoke English. I spoke English in Canada and I moved to England. Everyone spoke English, but being able to finally understand a lot of references, what people were talking about from their childhood from, you know, like that for me was a massive turning point and actually feeling like, you know, I belonged here. I was comfortable. I had a community. I kind of understood where people were coming from. So yeah, language as well. All right, we're going to move on to the second set of questions. It gets a little bit, uh, not tougher, but a little more thinky at this point. This first question is definitely a thinker. If a crystal ball could tell you the truth about anything at all, your life, your future, something that happened, what would you want to know? Are there any secrets out there that kind of sit at the back of your brain just teasing you that you'd really like to know? It could be family secrets, could be anything at all. <coughs> Whoa. Um... A, lot, a few things are going through my mind that I don't know if I want to mention, but um, mm -hmm. uh, actually, really, it's not so much. I mean, I'd like to not just be able to know, but be able to understand some of the, you know, the the secrets of the universe that we're not capable. You know, I'd like to be able to conceive of what infinity really is and know what's, you know, know how the universe really began and what, you know, and you know. What, what consciousness is and what it is to be human, all those big, not just be told the answer, because there are people who can give you the answer or an answer mm. to a lot of this stuff, but actually to be told it and for it to sink in and to understand it. Mm. So it's, I think it's the big stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think that most of the other stuff, you're probably better off knowing. I mean, you know, I, I don't really want to know what people really think of me. I might never <laughs> leave the house again. <laughs> Yeah, I'm with you on that. I think one of my answers was, I'd kind of like to know if we're alone in the universe and what that means, you know, not just yeah. is there life on other planets, but what kind of life and what does that mean for us as a species? And those things to me would be really fascinating to know, although I guess they wouldn't really change anything. I'd like to know if there are things that we could do that would definitely impact, you know, the length of time humanity can stay on the earth <laughs> rather than having to jet off to Mars with a hope and a prayer. Um, things like that, I think I'd prefer to know. I'm with you. Well, secrets, maybe yeah, it's, not it's so true. much. I mean, yeah, I mean, secrets are usually secrets for a reason. I mean, I, yeah, I mean I'd like to know if there's life in my street, actually, at the moment. It's like, <laughs> uh, it's, it, it's so weird around here. But um, yeah, I mean, that's it, 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 of course it would be good if you could have information that with which you could clearly demonstrate to other people mm. that the, a course of action about climate change was really going to make a difference if we didn't do it. You know, so it's, you know, stuff that you could win important arguments with, I suppose. Yeah, or, I feel you know, like if, the, if you could, you know, there's just no information proof. out there that would actually prove to people who don't want to believe things. And that just makes me so sad. The last yeah. couple of years have really shown me well, that no amount of scientific evidence will show people the truth. It's terrifying. It's true. And, yeah, and uh, yeah, certain world leaders wouldn't be getting about to get <laughs> re-elected if... Uh, if people looked at evidence. Man, <laughs> but, so uh, many yeah. world leaders, yeah. 
<laughs> so many of them. Okay, next question. Um, so I know you have a really eclectic group of friends, you know, throughout your life, and many of them are really fantastically creative people too. So what do you most treasure in a friendship? Is there a kind of a particular quality that people share or is there something about the friendship itself? You know, what do you kind of look for in people? Wow, that's um that's a tricky one. Um mm. I mean, uh, people people need to be, I guess, loyal, not too not too judgmental, um, uh, but you know, but kind of like sure of themselves. I, I, I mean, I, I think that I, I, I think that if, if anything, you know, a um, sense of humour is very important, you know. Um, by which I obviously mean that they think that I'm hilarious. Like, um, <laughs> no, I mean, um, no, yeah, just, just, I mean, not just in the obvious way of always cracking funny jokes, but, but you know, having a, an approach to life mm. um, that, that's, um, that allows a certain lightness, I suppose. Mm. Uh, but at the same time, you know, pe- people, people who are there for you, people who are loyal, people you can trust, you know, well, the usual stuff. I mean, I haven't got anything profound to say on that subject, I don't think. All right, uh, next question then. What would you say is one of the greatest accomplishments in your life? Is there anything that kind of stands out to you that you've built or that, you know, that's something that you can kind of look back on and say, yeah, that was that was great. I did a really good thing there. Um, oh. It can be poker or not as well, yeah. It can be poker or not. I mean, um... I, I kind of like, I haven't, I don't feel like I've accomplished that much really because, because huh. uh, I, 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 um, I, I, I don't, I, have, I struggle to focus on things and to, and, mm. and to actually see things through. Um, so I suppose, oh, that's, oh my God, that's a horribly difficult question for me. <laughs> uh, um I guess I've kind of like survived, you know, mm. and and, uh, and I and I've been. Uh, I think that I've been a good person, and, uh, and I've been. I've, I've been. I, I suppose. I suppose one thing I, I guess that I'm proud of is what I've the the role I've played in my family. I think mm. because, because like I, I'm I'm the one who, for various reasons, has been in the position at different various times and. Uh, and has wanted to and been able to be there for people when they when they really need you know so um, uh, several members of my family you know have gone through very long illnesses that I've been there and supported them through and you know I've, uh, people when people have needed advice or you know somewhere to stay or I, I've I've kind of like it's been very important to me to be there for my family and I think that I've done that so yeah I guess that would be my big thing. That's a really beautiful accomplishment, I have to say. Um, yeah, for a lot of people, I know that there are things that they can achieve, and I completely respect that. I do. Uh, for me, I always thought about getting to whenever the end of my life is and having good stories and good community connections with people. And I think, you know, for me, those would be, if I managed to do those things, that would be the greatest accomplishment. But I, I got to be honest, I love your answer better. So <laughs> that's really beautiful. No, um, no, I think your I think your answer is great, and I, th- I think you can, you know, you've done it. I mean, I think you've you've, 
you've obviously, you know, you've, you've traveled around the world. You've, you've made, as you said earlier, close connections wherever you've gone. Uh, you're, you know, it, it, you're interesting actually because, because you're obviously very adventurous, but obviously it's important to you to put down roots wherever you go and, and for, to make a place home. And, and to do both, it, you know, it, it's kind of paradoxical and you pulled it off pretty well. I don't know. I, I got to be honest. I think I've probably let both sides down on that one by trying to do both, but it's, it's been a choice. So I'm, uh, I guess I'm sticking to that choice because it is really hard. Every time I put down roots, I, I uproot myself and I move again and now I have a kid. So I, uh, I've actually made a, a very conscious decision not to do that again. We actually moved back to Italy pretty much right before the coronavirus hit. Um, so great choice there. So that she could grow up with family because my family's all in Canada, too far away. And we, I just really wanted her to not kind of have that same, not really fitting anywhere. So that, you know, if she grows up and she wants to do the same thing that I did and that you did and travel all over the place, she can have that as a choice, but she'll have like a base. I want her to have a base. So if I do well, that. Well, well, I mean, the thing... I mean, you'll always be her home wherever you are, aren't you? I mean, that's that's the thing, isn't it? it that's it's the hope, like, yeah. Once you've got a family unit, that you've got, you kind of take your roots with you to yeah. much more of an extent. I mean, let's hope that um, when she grows up, international travel is going to be an option. You know, ah, yeah. We it don't could know be right totally now. different. Yeah, it could be a completely different world for her, which is so strange to think about. So strange to think about. Um, Okay, and one more question, two more questions in this section. The next one is, what is one of your treasured memories? Do you have kind of a happy place that you go to? <laughs> Things that you remember that were just kind of beautiful moments? Ooh. It's another tough one. It, um, it takes a little bit of thinking, I know. it's. Yeah, wow, these, these are harder than I thought they were going to be, actually. Because yeah. um, uh, I, I guess that, like, you know, a lot of the, the the really good stuff is sort of nothing in particular. Mm -hmm. It's it, it's just when you're either with a group of friends and you're just having a really good time and you're laughing and yeah. there's no you know there's no edge to it. You know you, 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 you know there's there's no one that you're trying to impress too much or that you're mm -hmm. scared of in any way or whatever. And, and uh, you know it doesn't you know those kind of memories kind of blend into each other. I, I, I often, I tell you what, when I, if I stuck a big bluff in, in a game and, and someone's studying me, trying to work out, you know, whether I'm feeling pressure or not, mm -hmm. I often think about, um, I often think about one or other of my nieces or nephews and something funny that they've said or <laughs> a time that I spent with them. And if someone's studying my face, I'm away in that place thinking about them. Nice. Uh, so I know that's another family related. I, 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 I there are times, actually, by the way, I mean, when something's happening in your life, I remember going snowboarding once and I was just, I was just going down this slope. I hadn't been doing it for a long, you know, but, but I, you know, I, I, I was on this lovely, you know, I, I was curving this way and that way and I felt very comfortable with it. Mm. And I remember actually thinking at the time, this is going to be a great memory. I'm always <laughs> going to remember this. And, 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 um, and I do sometimes, you know, if you were hypnotising me and you said, Think of a time when you felt really, whatever you know, really relaxed and happy. I might think of that time, mm. but it's but it's just a little moment, you know. Ah, that's a good way to actually ask the question. If you're being hypnotized to go back to a moment where you were happy, where would that be? That's a really good way to ask that because I think it brings out a very different side of you know treasured memories. A lot of people go to the 
to the big moments, but I think you're right. The small ones for me as well, the small ones and some of the places that I've been that just felt like home, you know, just the nothingness of that is kind of beautiful. All right. One more question in this section. Then we go on to the actually hard section. <laughs> this one, it's a little bit dark if you take it that way, but all right, I'm just going to read it. If you knew in one year that you were going to die suddenly, would you change anything about the way that you're living now? Obviously the way you're living now is not exactly free because of the quarantine, but you know, take that as you will. Would you change anything about your life? Um, yes. Mm. Uh, what, uh, what would I change? I mean, I, I guess, uh, I would be more aware that there wasn't any time for any crap, for mm. any people that I didn't want to spend time with, for any tasks that didn't really need doing, you know, I, I wouldn't, bother to fix anything in my flat or you know, I'd, I'd, um, I'd try and I would try and finish up some stuff, some bits of writing that mm -hmm. are hanging about and, 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 um, and I would try and um, be with important people and do stuff, tell a few people a few things that I've never told them, um, <laughs> uh, go, you know, only eat the food I really loved. I, I mean, stuff you should all do anyway, I suppose. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, I mean, it's not like I've got that long. <laughs> um, Stop it. <laughs> oh, you know what? Well, we, none of us have, have we? I mean, no, maybe we when don't. This, this conversation's over, I'm going to start living that way. Yeah. <laughs> well, I hope so. I don't know. That, that, I mean, some of these questions really make you question your own yeah. choices, really, about how you live. It's, uh, this mm. is some scary stuff, Kyra. I know. I keep asking these questions of people and I keep thinking about them myself. I also think it's pretty scary. It's all these different ways that like, are we really doing the stuff we want to do or are we just kind of, I don't know, killing time yeah, a little mostly, bit? Mostly not actually. I mean, yeah. I mean the thing is, I mean, there's, there's, there's lots of stuff that you just have to do. Yeah, and, you for know, sure. and we, and, and, um, But I think if you knew you had that limited time, mm -hmm. a lot of them would cease to make sense. Yeah, no, I'm not going to so. decorate decorate my spare room or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, another question: Have you ever been truly terrified? Well, apart from now. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, a few times. How long have you got? I mean, I, well, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm I actually don't really have the fear gene in a way, and I, I think I was very accident prone as a kid because I never knew not to do things. So, you know, I, I kind of like I, physical terror. Mm. I, I, I've got a couple, I think, but like, um, um, I mean, a, a couple of them are like motorbike related. I mean, one time mm. when, yeah. when a, dr when a dr drunk driver just drove into me, smashed me up and left me lying in the middle of the road. And I was lying there thinking it was, it was dark. And I had, I had time to think, you know, someone better move me from this. I thought, you know, this is, this, uh, this is not a very good place to be. So in that moment, that was terrifying. Actually, there was another moment. I remember being in Sri Lanka and uh, I worked over there. And um, at the end of the time I was working, I hired a trail bike and went for a trip around the country. And um, I, was, I met up with some guys in this sort of foresty, overgrown bit who took me around in their truck one night. And we were driving around. And, and at one point they said, oh, yeah, this bit, we've got to drive around that bridge because the bridge is down. So we, we drove around it. And the next day, I was on my bike and driving back along the same bit of road, and I suddenly realised I was coming up to the bit where the bridge wasn't there, and I only had time to kind of to, to throw myself oh. down onto the ground. 
and just kind of, you know, and, and I was just sliding Oof. towards this drop. I don't think the drop was that big, but you know, it could have been pretty nasty. And, and I, I finished that. It was like a movie with with the wheels <gasps> spinning over the edge of this thing, and oh we just kind God. of lying there thinking, "I think I'm all right. <laughs> I think I'm all right." Oh. Um, I, actually, I tell you what, it's it's when, but stuff like that, you know, when, when, you know, accidents and stuff like that, you know, it's it's not so bad. It's when people deliberately want to do you harm, yeah. and you're in a position. I I, I remember being. Um, uh, at Lewisham, at a big anti-national front demonstration mm. years ago, and and um, and, and um, they they brought out these um, uh, for the first time ever on the British mainland. They 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 brought these these great big uh, shields out. These crowd control they had been using them in Northern Ireland, I think. Mm. Uh, and um, the police were kind of charging down the street towards uh, and me and my girlfriend were just we the demonstration was over. We were just trying to go home. We were trying to find a way out, and all of a sudden. I got grabbed from behind and taken up a sort of, I don't know what it was, a side street or whatever. And I had like six coppers around me just kicking me. Damn. And I was thinking, when's, I was just kind of thinking, when's this going to end then? How does this work out? You know, yeah. I, I don't think it lasted very long, but it was, in that moment when you've got absolutely no control and the people forever. that are there, yeah. Yeah, they, you know, they, they wanted, you know, they're going to do whatever they want to do, you know, and, and uh, you, there's nothing you can do about it. So that, I guess in that moment, I, I don't think it lasted long. It actually... I think actually I was in the sort of back way into the police station and they were just dragging me in there. But that was scary. I mean, yeah. I've, I've got, I suppose I've got a few like that, but like, but generally speaking, I, I think I could do with getting more scared of more huh. things. And I, there's, bad, there's not so many bad things. I wouldn't make, maybe make so many bad bluffs as well <laughs> if, I had, if I had the fear gene. Okay, well, kind of on the same vein as that, um, when did you last cry in front of someone else or by yourself? Uh, well, if you don't count kind of soppy films or soppy adverts mm -hmm. or whatever, because anything can kick you up a little, make your eyes water. I, I can actually, I can remember very easily because uh, <clears throat> my mum uh, was very ill at the beginning of this year. She had a very bad bout of sepsis. Now, my mum's mm. 93 and... Um, she was in hospital. I was with her, and, and she had a she had an operation uh, to get rid of the this the material in her that was causing the sepsis. And she was on the she was on the critical care ward, coming round uh, from this operation. And the combination of uh, of the um, uh, of the anesthesia and uh, the, the delirium that was caused by by the infection was making her very much not herself. She was kind mm. of she was very delirious, and she was kind of shouting and, and 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 fighting and trying to get out of the bed and these nurses asked me if i could help hold her uh, and, and i was holding her you know as gently as i could but trying to stop her from uh. pulling herself out of the bed and falling on the floor and it went on for ages it seemed like and they went and got a doctor who gave her a sedative and eventually she kind of sedative kicked in and she fell asleep and this young nurse she must have been 22 or something like that <laughs> after this 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 had been going on for about an hour you know and, and she turned to me and said, do you want a hug? Oh. And um, oh, I guess I must have cry. said yes. <laughs> no, she, gave, she gave me this big hug and yeah, then I started blubbing. Oh. And I think, it, I think I was just so moved by, you know, she was on this critical care ward. There's all this stuff going on that, you know, uh, and, and uh, you know, people, in, you know, it wasn't just my mum, there was loads of people in this ward. And, and she took the time, uh, you know, to, to, to care about me and how I felt in that moment. Yeah. And, and uh, obviously, I was very upset about my mum and I was very upset about, you know, 
because it was like she was having this terrible nightmare, you know. So, so yeah, I, I just started, I just started blubbering, and that was um, that was back in January. I, I guess I'm one of the uh, the last people uh, to to get you know random members of the public to get hugged by by a frontline <laughs> NHS person. You know, yeah. now they want touch. You know, so I'm I'm doubly privileged for that. But I mean, yeah. what an amazing you know. She was she was you know, what was she 22, 23, and she was so great. You know, wow. and that, but that's uh, there are some people out there, some amazing people. It's incredible how the like a small gesture of just very human kindness, just seeing uh, like from yeah. one human to another, can really make a massive difference when we're not just yeah, and- walls up and you know everyone's being cynical about everything. Just that kind of tiny moment of connection, it means the world. Yeah, that's the stuff that I can't take as well because I'm always like. Mr. Calm in the crisis, you know, and all that. And it's, it, but it's, it's, it's something like that. It was, it just mm. kind of gets you, you know, okay. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's, that's a very clear, uh, that would best, definitely be the last time that I cried. Ah, well, this is the last time I cried right now. So <laughs> <It's> quite beautiful. <laughs> okay. Well, we only have one question left, which I don't know. I want to go back and do them all over oh. again, but I won't. <laughs> um, all right. This one. Uh, you've actually kind of touched on it a little bit in an earlier answer. So, if you were to die this evening with no chance to communicate with anyone at all, is there anything that you would regret not having said, and why haven't you said it yet? Um, well, you don't have I to be. Said it. Yeah, okay. Well, you don't have to tell me what it is if you don't want to. I just <laughs> let me say that. <laughs> Ah, uh, well, regret not having said. Yeah, I was going to say that the reason I haven't said it is why I'm still not going to say it now. I think, but like, <laughs> but um, I mean, I, do, I think generally speaking, I say I do say what I want to say. Actually, yeah. and, uh, uh, which and, uh, and I think a lot of people, a lot of pissed off people, will attest to. You know, I, I, I don't. You know, I don't um, well, Ross puts it nicely. He says that I don't suffer fools. So I don't know about that. Yeah. But, but but I mean, I I I, I do. You know, I I I. I I love most people, and I certainly give people the benefit of the doubt when I meet them, and I love meeting people. But I, um, I will, I will usually say what's on my mind mm-hmm. at the moment when it's on my mind, uh, and that you know, I mean, not in a way of you know, not in a kind of Tourette'sy sort of way, but like you know, uh, people people tend to know where they are with me. I think. Yeah, I, as someone who spends time with you, you know, lucky enough to on and off, I would say that's true. And I think that when you do speak your mind, you do it in a very natural way. It never feels like, like people talk about brutal honesty. And I always think that they mean they just want to be brutal and they're using honesty as an excuse, but that's never been my experience of you. You're just very honest and in a way that kind of makes it easy to be honest back. So there you go. All right, well, yeah. So this was, uh, as we said at the beginning of the podcast, this was based on an experiment where people were supposed to ask each other these questions and over the course of a few hours, see if they would fall in love. The original experiment was supposed to close out with like between two and four minutes of silent eye contact for the participants, which we're obviously not going to, you know, make everyone listen to that because that would be terrible on a podcast. But on a scale of one to 10, how uncomfortable would it have made you just long, silent eye contact? I would be close to uh, a 10 for a discomfort. I, I'll be honest. I, I mean, it just depends who it is, really. Yeah. Um, and um, it would certainly be very weird. But I, I guess <laughs> if, I, if I, 
if I knew why it was happening, and that yeah. we were both doing it for the same, the same reason, I think I could handle it. Um, the, the silent bit is, um, that would be a bit of a test for me. Yeah, <laughs> like, I think there'd be a lot like of laughter. Like <laughs> yeah. All right, well, we're going to give it a miss anyways, but thank you so much for coming on and being so game with these questions because it was really a pleasure getting to hear a lot of stories that I actually have never heard before. And now the next time we catch up for a drink, I know what I'm going to be asking you about so we can share some more. <laughs> well, well, thanks. I mean, there's a few of them I, I haven't heard myself for quite a long time. But, uh, <laughs> you, you've got a way of digging things out of people. It's a, you're very good at your job. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. You made it easy. And um, thanks to everyone who is listening. I hope you feel like you know the Barney behind the stories a lot better than you did before. I know there's a lot to love there, and I know I'm a lot better. So I'm going to see all of you next time on The Heart of Poker. <laughs>